In the late 1960s and early 70s, John Carpenter attended the USC School of Cinematic Arts. In 1970, a short film he contributed to went on to win an Academy Award, and in 1976, he released Assault on Precinct 13, which Carpenter considers to be his first real film. And between those two films was Dark Star, written by John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon, directed by John Carpenter, starring Dan O'Bannon, produced by John Carpenter, edited by Dan O'Bannon, music by John Carpenter, with special effects by Dan O'Bannon. A science fiction story sold as, depending on which of the two you're talking to, either Waiting for Godot in space without any of the intellectual quality of Waiting for Godot, or Truckers in Space. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T minus Welcome back to the Escape Pod. My name is Ryan. I'm Nathan. My name's Dimitri. What? Who is that? Where'd you come from? I've been here the whole time. Oh, no. Is it like Dimitri, like D period, I period, M period? Oh, yeah, you're from an alien culture? I'm a person. I've been here the whole time with you guys. Yee. Spooky. No, I, I've literally been in this pod with you since the beginning. And we just haven't noticed you? What are you thinking that this pod just refills its toilet paper rolls by itself? <laughs> yeah, that's technology. I kind of thought that it did, yeah. No, it's me. Oh, man. <laughs> it's you two guys have always been there, and I'm here too. You know what? As long as the toilet paper keeps getting refilled, I'm just, I'll just accept whatever reality. That's the reality that I want. Uh-huh, exactly. It works for all. It's really tough working with you guys. <laughs> I do not like the men on this spaceship. They are uncouth and fail to appreciate my better qualities. I have something of value to contribute to this mission if they would only recognize it. Last week was my birthday. Nobody even said happy birthday to me. So, um... Now that we're all here, what are we here to talk about today? Anyone? Yeah, we watched uh, 1974 Dark Star. Did we ever? Our second Dan O'Bannon film. Oh, what other film did he write that we saw? Uh, the one that had Schwarzenegger in it. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, Total Recall. Oh, he was on the writing team for Total Recall? And Alien, which we didn't do. Oh, yeah. Not yet. But I did know that. And... um. We should just do a Dan O'Bannon podcast. <laughs> Maybe this is turning into, that's what this is becoming, yeah. O'Bannon. And then he came to Paris. I have two warriors, Moebius and O'Bannon. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it can be called. <laughs> Mr. O'Bannon 
He was Sergeant Pinback in this. Yeah, but, uh, Sergeant Pinback, aka Bill Fug. Yeah, but he did. Yeah, Bill Fug. So yeah, boy, we're gonna get into that. Uh, <laughs> but he also was involved in Star Wars. He was as well. Yeah, but the thing is, like Dark Star, he he uh, he was more than just an actor in it, right? Like he did the special effects, and and then he and Star Wars, he did computer animation. So I'm assuming that all the really cool computer screens in this movie were his his work. It was a, a little cinema, a little theater, and there was a science fiction picture, Dark Star. And when I see the picture of it, that is the guy. Obanon. This is a John Carpenter movie. This is his first movie. Yeah. He this was a student film that was a it was a 16 millimeter student film. And then um he got some more money and they flushed it out with 35 millimeter and made it feature length. And I think uh O'Bannon said something like it would have been the world's greatest student film ever, but became the world's, like, <laughs> not worst, but yeah, much less of a feature film by making it one. Right. It's pretty funny. Pretty great for a, uh, one, that it's a student film, but it's pretty amazing. I mean, I never saw something called Assault at Precinct 13. Oh, it's a great one. You seen that? Mm-hmm. And that was a second film. But after that, it goes like Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live. Almost consecutively, one every year. That's an amazing run. Yeah. I love all of those movies. Big Trouble in Little China came out when I was a kid in the 80s. I loved that movie. What's in the flask, egg? Magic potion? Yeah. Thought so. Good. What do we do? Drink it? Yeah. Good. I thought so. I don't know. Had, had anything come out like that before? It was so crazy. It was, it was pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a little bit freaked out by it, but it was I was crazy. too. I, I remember when the the fella who um whose special power is he like inflates himself. Mm-hmm. And then he explodes off camera and it looks like just a bunch of lettuce is thrown <laughs> into the hallway. <laughs> and I was just baffled by that as a kid. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that, but uh, it makes me I, want to watch it again. Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah. I think one is always rewarded by a rewatch of Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. So how do we get into this? How did this movie begin? I, I'm having trouble. I need to, like, collect myself here. Hi, guys. Glad we got your message. You'll be interested to hear it was broadcast live all over Earth in prime time. Got good reviews in the trade. There's a message from McMurdo Station, Antarctica, to the ship, right? So it's this uh, person who's sending them a message about how they're 18 parsecs away and they're not going to get the radiation shielding that they asked for. Oh, yeah, for. they're too far. He says he's sorry to hear about the captain dying. Captain, uh... And real sorry to hear about the death of Commander Powell. Commander Powell. Powell, yeah, right. Captain Powell died. So that's how we're introduced to like the exposition. How big is a parsec? Any idea? I think it's three or five light years. I forget which. Oh, wow. Accessing. 
One parsec equals 3.2 light years. All right. Never knew. Yeah, so it stands for per arc second. So it's an interesting unit of measure. At one parsec, one AU is one arc second on the sky. What does that mean? A parsec is the distance. So if you take something that is one AU in, in diameter, right? So that's one AU would be an astronomical unit. That's the distance from the sun to the earth. Mm-hmm. Say you had a, an object that was one AU in size, pretty big, and you <laughs> kept moving it away from like the Like a Dyson earth. sphere? Yeah, right. Well, I guess a Dyson sphere would be two AU. It appears to be approximately 200 million kilometers in diameter. That's nearly as large as the Earth's orbit around the sun. For us, for us, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so if you move this thing further and further away from the Earth, once it had the apparent size of one arc second, right, however big that is on the sky, it's like a sliver. Oh. How many arc seconds is the moon? The moon's angular diameter is 31 arc minutes. Half of the sky is 180 degrees, and then you uh-huh. go to a degree, and then you go down to minutes and seconds, right? So it's getting smaller and smaller. So the moon is 31 arc minutes. So if you move this thing that's the size of the sun to the Earth further and further away to the point where it had the apparent size of one arc second, it would be one parsec away. Whoa. That's how it's defined. Yeah, I feel like I understand. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It's really useful in astronomy. So yeah, so 18 times 3.2 light years away. That's how far away they are. So we get, um, we, after we get this message from the colonel or whatever guy, we get our, our first look at the Dark Star. Very nice, sleek, simple looking ship. Uh, with like a little dome on top. Mm-hmm. Dimitri, you thought, what, you said something to me uh, about this off mic. What was that you said about it? It looked a lot like R2-D2 in the X-Wing. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, oh, Lucas stole it. Wouldn't be the first thing. <laughs> he stole my heart. <laughs> and I broke it. Mm-hmm. Broke everyone's hearts. We get into the, the, the bridge. What is, what's called the bridge, which is basically um, a closet with uh, three seats in it and giant banks of controls. Yeah, I had like a submarine vibe. Oh, yeah, Totally. Like what, two two guys are facing one way, one guy's between them facing the other way. There's not a lot of room. It's like a long, more like yeah. a hallway than a closet. Sure, more like a hallway. And you got to wonder, like, how does that middle guy get to the go to the bathroom? <laughs> it made me want really wonder about the size, the overall size of the ship. Yeah, right. Because like throughout the film, we can't. Yeah. Which I kind of like about it. They obviously had room to spare. There's no reason this right. bridge has to be tiny. <laughs> that's, what that's what I'm saying. Well, right. They were, when Powell died, the sleeping quarters were destroyed. Yeah. All right. So they lost a section of the ship. They did, right. They can't go into it. So they're all staying in like the, the kitchen or something like that. <laughs> but later on, he's chasing that, you know, the creature all through the ship. And there's the giant elevator that's working. Like, it's a big ship. Right, there's like five floors at least worth of worth of elevator shaft there. So, Dimitri, do you think this is a makeshift bridge, like not the original bridge? Well, but... I think it shows what they're. I forget what it says in the in the movie, but it shows you where they're living. They're they're living inside of. I think it's like the maybe yeah, it's, like it's a their walk-in or freezer or something like that. Yeah, where like they have their cots set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 
But I think Nathan's wondering if asking if you're suggesting that is this like a secondary bridge or something that's a lot smaller. Like it got, I think it's, the other one got damaged from the uh, explosion. Oh yeah, I don't think there is. Yeah, I think that then they've re re uh, repurposed the ship. Gotcha. That makes sense. I'll go along with that. Yeah, yeah. Phew. Makes it, more. I makes mean, a lot the, more sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and also, you know, of course, trying to make logical sense out of a lot of this is just going to be a yeah a, a blind alley. But um, I like that. Like you said, submarineness. Like it felt very like astronauty, practical. Oh, and these guys look like space lumberjacks. Yeah, they don't look like astronauts. Yeah, and at first I was thinking, oh, this is just because it's 1974. But pretty quickly I was like, oh, they've been out here for a really long time and and are not like upkeeping themselves necessarily. Right. Kind of a callback to uh, what was the movie? You're thinking of Marooned, Nathan. Yeah, Marooned. Right. Yeah, like when they're <laughs> when Gene Hackman is just like. The razor. I fixed the razor. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking of when later in this movie when uh, Doolittle is doing his diary. He keeps going from like kind of groomed to not groomed. And at one point he's just sort of mumbling about something insignificant. And well, that's like yeah, when Gene Hackman was like, just, <laughs> I don't know, things are going on. We're in space still. It takes a long time for they really, um, for the film really lets you in on that they've all lost their minds because they're all so calm. I guess. I don't think it takes a long time. Nah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I was not sure where the movie was going, if it was supposed to be a comedy or uh-huh. a philosophical piece or what. But the three actors, or four actors, I guess, um, they hardly did any other acting. Yeah, I think they were just, you know, fellow students probably. Yeah. So who who do, who do we got here? We got the new uh, commander, and he, that's Doolittle. He doesn't seem to like the position. No, he's he's unhappy. He's had enough, I think. And there's Boiler, who's, I guess, the more oafish. Yeah. And he's like a, a, just a total shoe-in for Tom Fogarty. <laughs> of, of CCR? Yeah. <laughs> he looks just like him. It's crazy. And there are two more crew members. We've got this guy, Talby, who just sits up in the dome right? for the most part. And who's really into uh, his retreat is just being up there and watching the stars. I love to watch things. Just stare at the planets, meteors. Gas clusters and asteroids. And then the final character is the Sergeant Pinback guy. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, I have to do everything around here. Played by... Uh, Dan O'Bannon. By Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, I just sent you a picture of Tom Fogarty. Oh, yeah. It does look like him. You see that, Nathan? Oh, yeah, it does look like him. <laughs> I Googled it and I found a picture of him with like short hair wearing a scarf around his neck and it does not look like the guy from Dark Star in that case. Yeah, there's like a moment in time where he's kind of got it 
down. Okay, so we haven't even gotten to the the bomb. They're in space. They're on this job, which is to blow up unstable planets. We don't even know that. They just start off talking to a computer voice, and he's like, hey, bomb. And the bomb starts talking back. Sergeant Finback calling bomb number 19. Do you read me, bomb? Bomb number 19 to Sergeant Finback. I read you. Continue. The bomb has like an extra cheery, happy voice. Detonation in six minutes, 20 seconds. Good luck. Thanks. All excited to do its its mission. They drop the bomb and then they hyperspace out because the bomb is so big because it's designed to destroy entire planets. Yeah. That's their job to make systems safe for colonization. Um, I've got a note that says after that... Uh, Bombers are sleepy. Uh, dialogue is odd. That I probably could have just kept writing over and over through most of this. <laughs> I I do have a note right there too that says uh, drugged. Like I yeah. thought. <laughs> but guess so, guess yeah they're they're really all tuckered out from their planet blowing up. Yeah. So then we get the ti- then we get the title credits. So we get this uh, Benson Arizona song that's pretty amazing. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Sure thing. Great song. Uh, music written by, like, all the music in this, written by John Carpenter. Either of you guys ever been to Benson, Arizona? Ryan's brother taught there. That's right. Yeah, he taught middle school there. He let us read their um, prop closet. That's how we got a bunch of costumes for the Galactic Federation of Love. Oh, yeah. Can we publish that? Yeah, sure. he's out of there. Doesn't matter now. Yeah. Statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, there's actually a uh, a dark star road in Benson because of this. Must be. Right? Do you do you think that that band Dark Star is Dark Star Orchestra? You think that's from this? No, no, they're because they're a dead cover band. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the Dead song is because of this? I hope so, but I think that song predates this movie. There's that band Pinback that's, as I just found out, they're from this movie. Uh-huh. Dr. Doolittle is another <laughs> spinoff of this movie. Of course. So after the title credits, we get them in some makeshift room. There's some graffiti on the wall. Yeah, what did it say? Boiler or something Boiler. So like it was over Boiler's bed. That's before I knew that that guy's name was Boiler and I was really confused. And he's trimming his mustache and reading like a Secrets of Love magazine or something. I thought it was Pinback. Oh. <laughs> but it was like a comic book went on it. It said like 15 yeah. Secrets to Popularity. Like pulp comic book. Yeah. They're talking about blowing up unstable planets and the new captain's extra cranky. They'd like at some point discussed that they they'd discovered a new star and the captain won't name the new star and what Pinback like gets real hurt by this idea. Yeah, he's real sensitive. Yeah, he's really sad about it. And then... Oh, wait, there is something about toilet paper. Right? No? Is that why you, is that why you Dimitri, is that why you started out with that? No, I don't think so. I didn't intend I have to. toilet paper written down. 
<laughs> I really got to take better notes. Is that your shopping yeah. list or? I wrote my show notes over my shopping list. Unsurprising. Ship's log, entry number 1943. Uh, oh, yeah. Storage area nine. Uh, self-destructed last week and destroyed the ship's entire supply of toilet paper. Another, like, odd thing that happens is, like, they turn on some surf beach music and they all start dancing. So. <laughs> maybe like a, pre- yeah, it's maybe just like a little, like, um, like foreshadowing to the fact that Doolittle's such a surf nut. Uh-huh, right. Is this when the bomb malfunction happens? Well, no, we have the, the, computer breaks in and and uh we see the computer room and we hear her talking and she talks about how there's an asteroid storm coming and right. they have these we get these really shocked expression you know close-ups of the of the the crew we see a, a shot of this weird pulsing electrical field with these asteroids in it and it's coming at them and at this point i was like this movie feels like i don't know like a 1990s choose your own adventure computer game like some of the external shots you know were like really terrible but they would have looked good on a pc it was pretty uh i mean it's pretty impressive for you know a six thousand dollar student film 60 60 000. no i thought it was six no it was 60 according to google sixty thousand us dollars which if you Considering hey, what's inflation, that today? it's three hundred sixteen thousand oh. dollars. It's still really good uh, special effects, though. No, oh yeah, <laughs> no, it wasn't. But... <laughs> They're fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I totally like the fact that you had that quote from O'Bannon because, yeah, maybe it would have been the greatest student film. <laughs> but that's that's what I mean, basically. Was... I mean, they're they're a little above. BBC, Doctor Who, special effects. Actually, I think they're a lot above that, actually. Uh, yeah. To be, but for a student film, it's like, it's pretty, pretty great looking. Yeah. And uh, also, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, a sucker for cheap special effects, I guess. Well, or maybe it's, also, so, it's so stylized. It's so like in 1974. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, like I like the computer, the computer screens, you know, mm-hmm, they did mm-hmm. are, were a lot of fun. And then also your other weakness is electronic, early electronic music, which is this film is littered with. True. So do love that. I think your your vision is impaired when there's <laughs> electronic music playing. It might be all those endorphins just swimming around my brain. So they go through this asteroid thing and yeah, something happens to the ship and then all of a sudden the bomb, the bomb bay doors open and the bomb comes out. Computer to bomb number 20. Return to the bomb bay immediately. But I have received the operational signal. It is a malfunction. It was kind of weird because she had to like convince it. You start to see that these bombs have little personalities. We are in a crisis situation. Return immediately. Nevertheless, I have received the signal to prepare for a drop. Yeah, it's 
really driven to complete its programming. Yeah. It does retreat, and then uh, I think this is actually when we go to the bunk room. Yeah, we go to the bunk room, and they there's like they put on cocktail music, basically. Yeah, and I think Boiler is sitting there playing with like a stiletto. Or what's the difference between is a stiletto a type of knife? Stiletto is a type of knife, and a shoe. Yeah. Okay. Well, it wasn't a shoe. <laughs> I think uh, Dimitri and I might have discussed this off mic, but. Um, did this spark anything for you? This little knife scene? Oh, yeah, right. Alien. Yeah, aliens. Oh, right, aliens. That's totally James Cameron making a, you know, a very deliberate nod to Darkstar here. All right. Doing the thing. Like, where else have you... No, I've never seen that anywhere else. That's pretty great. That's what I had said, but then Marina pointed out that it's in, like, tons of westerns. Oh, really? Yeah. Dang it. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. What we're talking about is that thing of hitting the knife, splaying your hand out on the table and doing the... That's right. He goes really slow. Yeah, he's going really slow. (laughs) (laughs) He's not taking any big chances here. So we also get... uh, What's his name? Oh, Pinback. So Pinback is like trying to entertain everybody. Yeah, he's a real, real card. He's got the googly eyes... And that just pisses off. That pisses Boiler off. And then he pouts. Like, to make it very clear, he's sad that he got no reaction. And then he's he, like miming big time. Yeah. And then he pulls out a rubber chicken and yeah, dangles it a in whole front box of, the of novelties. Yeah. And they, the captain like storms out. You know, it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to him. Look, these guys we find out later have been in space for 20 fucking years. Yeah. How many times do you think he's pulled that chicken out? Yeah, that's true. Being like, oh, look at my chicken. I can see. I'm totally with Doolittle on this one. Being like, oh, come on. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, the the problem is that when you show that, then you know it's never going to stop. The reaction? Yeah. I mean, if I was stuck on a ship with you for 20 years, which we might might end up being. This movie might be about us. And And I knew I had a rubber chicken that just... Sent you off the rails. That thing would come out a lot. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I'm, I'm warming up to pin back more. Yeah. So then the captain goes to his weird water organ. Yeah. He's got like a water bottle gamelon. Yeah. And he does a good job of selling it. You know, that this electronic music that's overdubbed. Uh, he seems like he's really in the moment playing uh, his... 30 water bottles that are hanging from strings. At this point in the movie, I really was like trying to figure out where it's going. Uh-huh. Is he, is he the creative genius that's stuck with... Uh, oh, yeah, these intellectual midgets. Or is this going to be about the talking bombs and the idea of, I don't know, giving personality to machines? Yeah, what's it all about, man? No idea. And it, it turns out maybe it's not about anything, really. I think uh, around this time, Doolittle goes up to the dome to talk to Talby. And this is also what made me like this character, meaning Doolittle, because he seemed he's been so fussy this entire time. You know, he's not happy with his job. He's just like, I don't want to know about anything else except for more planets to blow up. Find me something to blow up. He explodes at the the rubber chicken routine, and uh, then we get him. It's like, oh, cool, he's this cool musician. And then he goes up and has this really nice, calm, and uh, he's concerned about Talby. He's like. I th- 
Make you spend too much time up here. Be great if you came down. Tells Talby about how he misses surfing and how much he loves to surf. And Talby tells him about the the Phoenix asteroid cluster or whatever that goes around the galaxy every 1.3 trillion years, I think he says. 12.3. Oh, wow. Even more trillion than I thought. And I don't think he says galaxy. I think he says universe. I guess that would make more sense, right? Well, <laughs> no, I don't think so. No? <laughs> I mean, I don't think something can orbit the universe, but... As far as we know. Yeah. But, you know, it's the future and... They know stuff like that, yeah. They know everything we know and, and more. Phoenix asteroid. From what I've heard, Doolittle, they glow. Glow with all the colors of the rainbow. Nobody knows why. They just glow as they drift around the universe. The Phoenix asteroid. Our next little vignette is pretty fun. There's um, Sergeant Pinback is sunning himself in a classic lawn chair in a hallway. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you could still get those lawn chairs. Man, I love those lawn chairs. I guess we're living in an era where those are not available, but it's nice to know that they'll come back. In the future. Yeah. Yeah, right on. We ever get a year on this future? I don't think we do. No, I don't. Maybe at the very beginning when there was that message to McMurdo, there might have been a date, but I missed it. Uh, It says it takes place in the mid-22nd century. What does that mean? Are we in the 21st century? We're in the 21st century? We're in the 21st. That means like 120 years from now. All right. Okay. It's totally possible. With good tech, you might be able to stay alive long enough to sit in one of those chairs again. A new one, anyway. Yeah, with medical advancements. Yeah, you don't know. I'm going to put all my effort into that. I just want to die in a brand new old chair. <laughs> but that was the kind where you, you used to be able to like go to the hardware store and buy replacement. Like they had kits where you could replace like that plastic webbing. The little and hinges and stuff. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it was like a super standard lawn chair. Yeah, the aluminum, aluminum frame lawn chair. Yeah. Love them. And so he's sitting there chilling and Boiler is dragging a hunk of metal through the hallway. And he starts using for target practice. Oh, yeah, right. Pinback says that's the... That's the lid of the heating unit. The heat shield for something or something like that. You're not supposed to have that out. That's for emergencies only. Something you probably shouldn't be using for target practice. But Boiler doesn't care. He's probably been doing this shit for 20 years and knows that nothing's really that important. They all they all seem to think that nothing's that important right? at this point and, and that basically the computer... Which is obviously designed to take care of everything, for the most part. For your listening enjoyment, we now present the Moonlight Melodies of Martin Segundo and the Scintilla Strings. Our first selection is the perennial favorite, When Twilight Falls on NGC 891. What happens after that? He's got to uh, feed the pet. We find out that they have a pet animal on the, the ship. Oh, yeah. When I was like in fifth grade, I had to write a story for school. I was a terrible student, and I, I rarely did anything. And um, we used to do book reports, and, and you'd have to do a diorama or something for the book report. Oh, yeah. You remember that? 
Love that. I think I had read like a book on like World War One aircraft. I'm like leaving my house. I'd forgotten to write the book report. And for the diorama and like for the diorama, like I found like a empty Kleenex box out of the trash and I just taped some construction paper wings onto it. And I remember carrying that into school <laughs> and being like, this is like my sop with camel. So Wait, where is I going with this? Why was I telling that story? Did, didn't quite get the notion of diorama there. Yeah. Um, oh, I was telling a different story. So anyway, in fifth grade, I had to write the story and I actually put, I was like really happy with it. Like I did all the math so that like, <laughs> It was like somebody who was going to Jupiter and I had like all of the miles right and I tried to calculate how long it would take them if they were going a certain speed and it was just them in the ship by themselves and by the time they got most of the way there I thought the story is kind of boring like I wish there was another character for them to talk to and so I invented like in this closet he discovered this robot you know sort of like Dimitri showing up all of a sudden on our on our escape pod really suspicious so just out of nowhere this thing pops up right we got this pet now all of a sudden that's important on the ship like with no warning that's the whole point of that story is it's like it just seems like <laughs> like this is like fifth grade writing <laughs> my point. wait what was it called well i don't remember i ended up like getting a c on it so it just taught me don't don't put that much effort into schoolwork. seriously yeah fuck that it probably was really boring to read because it was just <laughs> like, just now numbers. we've gone this many miles and now we have this long to go. And, and, and in another hour, we'll have this far to go. And another mile passed. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the teacher parent conference is like, well, Nathan didn't really understand the concept of what a diorama was right. and how to tell how what a story is. Yeah. He's a dull boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Sorry to interrupt your recreation, fellows, but it is time for Sergeant Pinback to feed the alien. So, right. He's got to go feed the alien. Which is like ab- his his mascot. Abducted. I feel like the ship kind of like rips him one a little bit. Like you thought it'd be a good idea to get a mascot. May I remind you, Sergeant Pinback, that it was your idea in the first place to bring the alien on board. Right, you go fucking feed it. You gave us this problem. Yeah, yeah. You guys were talking about how you liked the effects, so I'm I'm interested in your opinion on this one. <laughs> oh, I thought the the like real like obvious scary fingers were great. I loved how it always was tapping <laughs> yeah. those long nails, and it was and it, it could pop itself so easily. I thought that was a great. <laughs> I loved it. I didn't think about that because yeah. right, it's just a a beach ball with some uh, really sharp fingernails. Yeah, yeah. It's just awesome. I was pretty sure that those were creature from the Black Lagoon gloves. You know that you can get at like the Halloween store. Not yeah. that they had Halloween stores, but a costume store. They really look like those hands to me. Yeah. So he's got to feed it. Do we even understand what he's going to feed it? Does he try to give it something? We don't know what it eats. So behind in the back of the room, there's this wall with like the light creature. Like it's this light pattern that's sort of moving. And at some point, Pinback like waves at it and says like back off or whatever and it actually reacted oh yeah yeah i thought that was awesome those lights look great when i brought you on the ship i thought you were cute all right soup's on he's fucking around with this beach ball alien and it doesn't want to comply it was so boring 
It was boring and it was weird. I thought it was kind of scary because I felt like he, you knew it was going to be bad for him. Yeah, I thought he was going like, to It was going to go... Yeah, I didn't think he was going to make it. Well, it started tickling him at one point. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> With its big nails. I have a comment here where I'm like, is, is this a comedy or what is going on? Uh-huh, exactly. And the and it's clearly the the That's beast. That's what I want on my um my tombstone. <laughs> I wrote, "Am I supposed to care or be scared or laugh?" Mm-hmm. I'll change it. I I want that on there instead. <laughs> the beast clearly has intelligence because it tries to trick him a couple times. <laughs> oh, I think it's I, I think it's definitely smarter than Pinback. Smarter than Pinback, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So here's the thing. It gets into that rear airlock or whatever where the malfunction yeah. is happening. But we don't know it's an elevator shaft yet. He pulls a wooden board out of somewhere yeah. that they yeah, keep around on the so ship. Funny. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> to like crawl across this pit. And I'm thinking like, right. why is there just this open pit in yeah. the ship? I'm glad he's got a board. And uh, if... The rear airlock is obviously someplace you've got to be able to go without having to cross this elevator, what turns out to be an elevator shaft. It seems so weird that something like this elevator shaft is between these two spaces. It's because they lost so much of the ship from that when oh, the you captain's... Think you, had to, you think you had to go that way? Yeah, I think when, when his chair <laughs> short-circuited and blew up that whole area, I think that they really have been contained to a really small portion of the ship. That's super interesting. Good good headcanon, man. I was just totally baffled by this need to cross the elevator shaft. I was pretty sure that that was not going to work out. It seemed obvious that that thing was going to take the board with it when it went back. The only head fake I had was like, I thought, oh, well, now they're in the airlock. I thought either one of them is going to go out the airlock. That didn't, yeah. that didn't yeah. happen. I know. I thought that too. That's called good writing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And then and then he comes back, right? And then the thing takes the board, so he can't go across the pit. So he decides to start, like, balancing on some tiny ledge. He's got nowhere to go, though. What's he going to do? Jump and bounce off the ball and fall down the pit? <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. Like, why wouldn't you just stay on the other side of the pit until it left? That's when you would want to try to get across. And somewhere in here, I think I wrote, like, why is he not dead yet? <laughs> Like, and I don't just mean in this particular situation, like this guy seems so dumb and he's been on the ship for 20 years. Like, how's he not killed himself already? Do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. Happy Fun Ball comes with a lifetime guarantee. Happy Fun Ball, except no substitutes. He's on this little ledge. He falls. This is when he's hanging on the ledge with his fingers. The the beach ball monster tries to tickle him so he'll fall. The lights come on and we see it's an elevator shaft and the elevator starts coming down. It's like the slowest elevator ever. I have that in my notes too. I still thought maybe it was going to kill him. I felt like they did a good job here of, um, there was good tension here of him. If he was going to get killed, crushed, ground up by this elevator or not. Yeah, the prospect of being slowly crushed from the yeah. legs up was really scary. Yeah, I felt that. And, you know, elevators do that thing where they stop and then the pneumatics relax and it drops another two inches. Yeah. And it does that. And then it drops like another four inches. So his face is completely pressed up against it. 
That, that was good. They did that well. I guess that's the point of a student film is you're just sort of trying to like explore different techniques. It didn't fit with like just a second ago, you literally had a beach ball tickling him. And <laughs> like, I don't care if he dies at this point. You've done nothing to make me care about this person. And then that part was tense. It was, it was suspenseful. Then he gets in the it bottom. It's like a person you didn't care about like him at all. Not really. Nothing. No. Wow. <laughs> Just watching the movie and it to meet you, you don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> then then he's like stuck in the bottom of the elevator, right? He, he undoes the panel and climbs halfway in, and now he's like, I don't know, it's like sort of a fat joke. He's like, oh, I can't get through. Right, he can't get his ass through the panel. Right. And then it's, so then like evidently there's some cleaning mode of the elevator that includes explosive bolts. <laughs> it's suspenseful again because it's like, oh my god, I think he's gonna He's going to get out at the last second, which isn't what happens. Instead, it blows up, and they do it in a way where you don't know if he's been exploded or not. But then, the, Which was fun, I thought. The elevator doors open, and it's a total cheesy, like, hee-haw moment with him yeah. standing there with, like, the floor around his waist. Yeah, it's just some slapstick comedy. <sighs> yeah, it's all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> it yeah, is that, all over. That was weird. I think I actually, I, I, I blocked that out. I forgot that that did happen. I wonder if there's any like fan fiction out there that's like from the point of view of that beach ball. You know, like it's life leading up to its capture and then like, you know, it's like a hero, a martyr. Mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, you should. I mean, I say that, that because right away. I, um, I have a, a short story written up. I, I'm excited to read this. If you have any trouble, I think you can ask Nathan for punch ups. <laughs> with your with your story writing, if you need any extra help, just pick a direction, one direction though. Please don't try to make it a comedy and a tragedy. Uh-huh. It's a it's a tragedy. Good. <laughs> it's called a tickle. <laughs> oh boy, Talbot up in the dome gets a you know he sees on his board that there's this short circuit going on. Doolittle, I do have a malfunction on this readout, but I can't pinpoint it exactly. Don't worry about it. We'll find out what it is when it goes bad. Bomb number 20 has been activated. So I guess that's what happens by the beach ball fucking around in there. Sabotage. It could have been clearer what was going on. It's not that kind of movie, Nathan. During the whole elevator fiasco is when the second bomb malfunction is happening. And the bomb really wants to blow up and is arguing with it a lot more. I received the signal to prepare for a drop again. But I repeat, this is not a bomb run. Nevertheless, I received the signal. It is an error. Oh, I don't want to hear that. The computer once again gets it to gets it to stand down. Please return to the bomb bay while I identify the source of the problem. Oh, all right. But this is the last time. Benson, Arizona, blue or wind through your hair. My body flies the galaxies, my heart longs to be there. Benson, Arizona, the same stars in the sky. But they seem so much kinder when we watch them, you and I. But you were talking about 
they're having their lunch. So Pinback pulls out a, what, an eight-track cassette with, uh, it says, My Diary, like, really poorly. Oh, written. yeah. And he sticks it in this machine, and that's when we see him, uh, he's re-watching, I guess, some of his logs. Yeah, his diary logs, uh-huh. And he admits that he's, like, Bill Frug or, or something uh-huh. along those lines. And then he does his new diary entry, and he's complaining that he hates everybody else on the ship. And that he tries to entertain them, and they don't like him. He tried to make jokes, and nobody laughed. And, oh, yeah, last week was my birthday, and nobody said happy birthday. Uh-huh. He says something like, maybe they'll see this someday, and they'll feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I like that the the computer is censoring his diary log. Yeah, right. Yeah, it'll say um, deleted gesture or deleted phrase will come up on the... Yeah. On the screen, if he says a curse word or whatever he did with deleted gesture, we don't know. That's pretty great. Also, when he's telling them their story when they're eating lunch, I mean, he's obviously like just the, the guy at work who just tells you the same story over and over again. Yeah. And they're completely ignoring him. They're completely bored with him. Yeah. But Doolittle has a moment. Somehow, like, their names come up. And he's like, what's, what's my first name? Yeah, that's great. They don't even. And then, yeah, that's when I really got it. I was like, oh, these guys are are fucking space crazy. Yeah. Like no one's called him by his anything but Doolittle for so long that he can't remember what his own name is. So then it just spewed across the room like a balloon. I guess it was just filled with gas. Hey guys, how could it live if it was just filled with gas? Wonder what we got to eat today. I thought I was going to die. I was hanging on the elevator for 20 minutes. Probably chicken again. I probably saved the ship. That thing could have done some damage. I'm really sick of chicken. Well, if you don't care, I just won't talk about it anymore. Hey, that sounds like a fine idea, Pinback. Chicken? Well, so uh, our our intrepid team here. Oh, Talbot, the only guy who seems to have a... Or Talby, the only guy who seems to have his, his, uh, his head screwed on right is... Figures he's got to put on a spacesuit or whatever they call it in this star suit they call it. Oh yeah, and go to the the airlock and and fix this problem. And he's not space crazy because he's been staying the fuck away from these people. Yeah, he's the only. Yeah, right. He's smart. He's kind of become like he's kind of hit like a Zen kind of world. It feels like. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And I love this. <laughs> His his EV suit, the star suit. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> this is when it really shows that they're building their sets, especially this costume, out of things they can find. Yeah. And uh, household items and stuff. Because, you know, the the helmet is, it looks like a gerbil ball or something. Yeah, I, I was going <laughs> to, I wanted to have a conversation about this because I couldn't figure out what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what is the helmet from? Like, it looked... I mean, it was so ill-fitting, right? Like, you would never design it to be this way. Like, your field of... The helmet is, like, makes them so they can't see anything <laughs> down. Like, they can only look up. Right. It's basically, like, your eyes and your nose Yeah, can kind of see out of this. So it had to have been made from something... Yeah, Hassel, like, I oh, put... Sure. I put, for my guess, was, like, popcorn popper, you know? I think it could have been an air popper. Yeah. I think it could have <laughs> been... Um, one of those things you push around when you were a kid and <laughs> yeah. the, the plastic balls pop up in the air. Yeah, right. Something. Definitely some 70s appliance. 
There's like that one point where like one of them had like a muffin tin <laughs> on their chest. Do you see that part? No, no, I don't remember that. I felt like that was just very comedic and intentionally. Oh, oh yeah. I just yeah. You're right. Any set dressing science fiction, you know, those those sets are just full of kitchen appliances and stuff. I just looked it up. It's definitely what it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's absolutely what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's really terrible. The other thing I noticed about the spacesuit was the camera pans down by his feet. You know, he's got like rain tarp plastic just tucked into duck boots, basically. <laughs> nice. The field of visibility is so bad in that space. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you, can't see, <laughs> you can't see shit. Like if you if you were holding something in front of you, you wouldn't be able to see it. No, you really you'd have to hold it above your head to know what you're doing. <laughs> Sally forth. I do start to feel at this point that the, especially for this weird movie, that like the pace kind of picks up a little bit at this point. It starts starting to starts to feel kind of exciting. I mean, yeah, not yeah. not terribly exciting, but I agree. It felt like it was going somewhere finally. Right. Suddenly, it's got a rudder, and um, they they find a planet to blow up. So they're really excited about that. They start heading that way, and and Talby's calling them, being like, "Hey, we got to fix this thing. We got to fix this thing." And they just switch off his comm. Yeah. Like they don't care. They're just they just want to do their. The only thing they know how to do. And like the computer has said, don't do any bomb runs until we fix this problem. So we know, you know, we know that there's trouble. Yeah, we know there's big time trouble. The captain actually tells Talby, don't bother me. Talby says that he's found something important. And Doolittle says, don't bother me, and then switches him off. Like he had all of the information. Oh, yeah, everything could have been fine. Yeah, he just had to take like a minute to listen. You kind of feel like he's given up completely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a muffin tin. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, wait a minute. How does this go down? When do they visit the, like, the re-exhumed frozen captain? Not yet. Yeah, that's, that's, that's later. after the... You got to wait for that's the bomb to happen. be deployed. Yeah, I couldn't remember if that... Yeah, okay. Talby's doing a laser test, and the, the lasers shoot out of the panel, and... He ends up, like, falling into them, basically. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't obvious, and but he gets, like, blinded by it. Yeah. He gets blinded by something, then he falls into the beam of the lasers, the path of the lasers, and uh, the computer, like, seriously malfunctions. Right. And there's, yeah. like, a big fire in the computer core. And that's when this bomb is like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to detonate now. Doolittle's already deployed it. Like it's hanging from the ship right. and he set the timer right. on it in the submarine control room. They're all doing the countdown to like drop it and they all throw the switches or whatever and they get a negative drop. And that's when we get that like crazy. At first, it sounds like somebody's like got intestinal distress. Mark at five, four, three, two, one, drop. Mm. <laughs> that's like the negative drop sound. <laughs> and then they they jump into action, yeah. They start freaking out, and that and that's when Doolittle's like, "There's only one thing to do. I have to ask Commander Powell," which is interesting because we thought the captain was dead, right? And this notion is 
is I think also really fun. I think it's like the most like what later on you'd kind of think of with John Carpenter too. As far as like scary, creepy. Yeah, like a just kind of a an unnameable weird power from beyond like Prince of Darkness movie kind of. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Like that that's the cuz the rest of it has some kind of jokey stuff like you'd see in Escape from New York and and Big mm-hmm. Trouble and stuff, but I feel like that's but it's not even that clear. This is like the one time you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I could see that being John Carpenter." Yeah. Agreed. He goes down into some part of the ship, another new set where it's the cryogenic freezer compartment. And there is in a big block of ice, the dead commander Powell. And he turns some diddles with some dials and he's able to speak with him. Commander Powell, this is Doolittle. Something serious has come up. I have to ask you a question. I'm glad you've come to talk with me, Doolittle. It's been so long since anyone has come to talk with me. And that was, like you're saying, Dimitri, what a cool and creepy concept. His voice is all weird and electronic. And he's like, oh, it's been so long since you've come to visit me kind of thing. He's very clearly, well, he's dead, I guess. But whatever about his brain you know, is not accessing right. He's like asking him how the Dodgers are doing. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. This was like the part where I was definitely paying attention the most. Mm-hmm. I like this part. Just even that, like, you know, he had to control these knobs to talk to him. But of course, the person in the ice doesn't have to control anything to talk back. Yeah, it makes you think about what's going on there. And Yeah, exactly. So many questions. And the the dead captain is... It's just ethereal, otherworldly kind of, he's in a different place, and he's not trying to not help, but he doesn't really know how. Oh, did you try the asthma clutch? Yes, sir. Negative effect. What was that? Negative effect. It didn't work? That's correct, sir. Sorry, Doodle. I've forgotten so much since I've been in here. And then he all, like, there's this really great part where he's like, He's like, we'll do this, and Doolittle's like, I, I did that, and he's like, oh well, I don't know, and he's like, and he's like, oh well, one thing you could do is, and then he sort of like fades off, and there's interference, and Doolittle like has to turn the knobs to get him back, and by the time he gets him back, the captain's like, I don't remember what I was talking about, you know, like <laughs> it's so it's scary, all, yeah, yeah, he's like a doddering old man at this point, yeah, and he's like, I'll think about it, let me think. It's been so long since I guess it's thought, or I don't know what it is exactly, but that that it's really mysterious. What the captain comes up with is that you've got to talk him out of it, basically. Yeah, it's just uh, like phenomenology. Yeah, and I couldn't. I I did. I thought he said phrenology. I thought he said all kinds of things. Teach it phenomenology to little sir. Phenomenology, which I never heard of that school of philosophy. But it is it is a big one. So he goes out into space. He puts on a spacesuit. I don't know why he had to do it this way. Yeah, right. I guess to make the movie end the way he wanted it to end, it does. Yeah, right. That's uh, right. Why couldn't he just talk to the bomb from the bridge? Yeah. But, you know, Boiler and, and Pinbacker and the bridge just freaking the fuck out. 
So he puts on a jetpack and goes out into space next to the bomb and starts having a um, existential philosophical discussion with the bomb about why do you exist and what is the meaning of being and are you only the sum of your programming and the bomb uh, goes along with it hello bomb are you with me of course are you willing to entertain a few concepts i am always receptive to suggestions fine think about this then how do you know you exist at least it seems to be going along with it. He's like, oh, I really have to think about this. I guess it backfires in such a way that the bomb, I mean, how does it, how does it really explain this to itself? It wants to be like its own genesis, basically. Why? That would mean that I really don't know what the outside universe is like at all for certain. That's it. That's it. Intriguing. I wish I had more time to discuss this matter. Why don't you have more time? Because I must detonate in 75 seconds. Yeah, he talks to it, and now it has doubt about what is reality and if anything exists. And so I guess if it if it's doubting the existence of everything around it... it right, maybe nothing is real and it's only... Well, it's sort of like, you know, the universe started with a Big Bang. And if I'm a bomb and I don't believe that there is a universe out there, well, I guess I can create it. In the beginning, there was darkness, and the darkness was without form and void. And in addition to the darkness, there was also me. And I moved upon the face of the darkness, and I saw that I was alone. Let there be light. At the same time, Talby also leaves the ship. He gets blown out the airlock. Doolittle's coming back in, and so Talby gets shot out like a cannon. Doolittle decides to go chase after him to, to rescue him. And that's when the bomb explodes, and right, and then Doolittle and Talby are far enough away that they don't mm -hmm. get blown up. Yeah, they just kind of get blown away farther out into space. Yeah. Funny, I thought I had the damn thing convinced. Then Boiler and Pinback? They're dead, Talby. Then we're dead, too. Maybe not. Maybe there's a way. Hey. Hey, my jet, my jetpack's busted. Oh, man. Talvi and Doolittle are floating around in space, and they're remarkably calm. Yeah. They're not freaking out at all. I think that, like, I felt like Doolittle was glad to be uh, kind of relieved of the responsibility or the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for And sure. it seems like Talby's just at peace. Like, he just, he didn't really, it doesn't matter to him anyway. Yeah. They see the frozen captain go flying by. Oh, that's right. He goes flying by, too. And you can hear him talking. He's just kind of like <laughs> muttering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of talking about what to do. Talby sees the the Phoenix asteroid cluster shows up. Yeah. And he's just jazzed about it yeah. and, and really excited that this is... And he's like, come... I'm going with them or I'm they're taking me away or... Yeah, he's going to eternally be part of it. Uh-huh. He's swept up by it. He gets his answer, and then Doolittle's like, I've got an idea. A piece of the ship is, yeah, floating by. Hops on it like a surfboard. He's going to surf into the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Catch that last big wave. All of that really made it so I couldn't hate the movie nearly as much as I wanted to. Right. Like that from when the captain, the frozen captain goes by talking, 
and then in space. Yeah. And then and then the surfing to the planet, I thought <laughs> I thought, well, damn, I can't I just can't piss all over this movie. It's it's it sort of redeemed itself at the very end. It really did. It was really a, a delight in those moments. <laughs> really, you know, you could just tell from watching this that I'm sure John Carpenter's film professor knew at that moment there were great things ahead for this young man. <laughs> He's probably like, just don't do comedy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Calby, I've got a piece of debris, and I think I've figured out a way. Who do you guys think was the craziest of the four astronauts by this point? I feel like Pinback was kind of really... Yeah, I kind of felt that way too. He just felt like one of those guys that's just like really dangerous. (laughs) I just felt like he was inept. I don't think he was crazy. Well, clearly he had some kind of split personality disorder going on, right? Yes. He would be bad in any situation. Actually, Boiler was kind of really... Spoiler's yeah. scared. They were all terrible. All three of them. I mean, the only one that wasn't terrible was Talby. Yeah, Talby right. was nice. Talby's trying to hold it together. <laughs> all right, we can pivot to... Uh... I was just looking at that. It's weird that they say like a satiric look at the problems experienced by the description. I, I just was looking at just the general description of it. It's, I don't know. I don't, I, feel, I don't feel like it's like a comedy or satiric. But they do say a crew of bumbling astronauts, which I, I definitely agree with. Yeah, that 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 seems accurate. I liked that the first review on the audience review is, I haven't seen it five stars. <laughs> My, this review must contain more than 30 characters. <laughs> That's a great... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's the kind of audience we want for this podcast. Did you read the rest of it? It says, it's so good. The guys who wrote Ed Wood and Dolomite is my name should write a movie about Dan O'Bannon. He was a grumpy, lovable underdog who sort of made it. <laughs> his porn and gun. That's it. No, his porn and gun collection scared away prospective cast members. Oh, God. Awesome. <laughs> Producers kicked him out of a screening of Daily, so he snuck into the projection room to watch. He caught the producers of Aliens removing his name from the script. <laughs> so he sued them and won. Wow. Oh, good for him. So I guess I guess you guys are right that Pinback is the crazy one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, yeah, I guess he was like, you could just tell. He's crazy under in the, real life. Yeah, the veneer. He wasn't even acting. Yeah. All right, well, Ryan, should we uh, talk about whether or not you liked this movie? Yeah. Did you like this movie? I wholeheartedly enjoyed this movie i was a little i had seen it before it's been so many years that and i don't remember in what state of mind i was in when i saw this 
but um, I didn't have any kind of clear memory about it. And when I, I have to admit, when I pulled it up and I saw that the runtime was, was an hour and 22 minutes, I was like, oh no. And I mean, honestly, it went by so fast for me. There were definitely, I think maybe because it was so bizarre, which I knew was going to be, I think that that just kept my brain jogging along in a way that I was not bored. I didn't feel bored by it. Um, The way some movies, especially movies that are intentionally weird, um, can also be dreadfully boring. This was just off the wall enough to keep me interested and keep my head full of questions. But I was amused by it, I guess. It it didn't feel like an hour and a half. It felt like an hour and 20 minutes. And <laughs> plus two more. And um, I enjoyed, you know, knowing that it was started out as a student film. Like I, I anticipated a lot of low budgetness, of course. And as stated prior, I enjoy a certain amount of that and a certain amount of B-movie stuff because I, I, I love to see what directors do and what prop builders do and everything when you have s- such a limited budget and how you can come up with making things. And there's a lot of sets in this. Yeah. And they did a lot with lighting to make, I'm sure, a couple, reuse a couple of those. Um, I enjoyed it. I think, every, I think everyone should see Dark Star, who is a science fiction fan. For those reasons, and for the reason that, especially if you're a John Carpenter fan, well, that's just a fun thing to see what his, all of his ideas were as a senior in college trying to put together. And you can see themes from this and his other movies. To see the state of student filmmaking, or I guess high budget student filmmaking in the early 70s when sci-fi genre was, was cranking up to do bigger and bigger things. We don't have a rating system, so I'm just gonna say, I think it's a, I think it's a should watch, weird, fun, science fiction flick. That's my review. Cool. What do you think, Nathan? I didn't really like it. Um, I was glad it was only an hour and twenty minutes. It definitely didn't feel too long, which mm-hmm. I think kills a lot of movies for me. I agree with. A lot of what you said, like, I, I don't think you're wrong about any of that. The fact that it's a student film and just watching it as a piece of historical filmmaking by a really interesting director is interesting. As a movie, it just suffered from, there was some interesting things that were interrupted by kind of really long sequences of bad, like mm. the pet thing <laughs> and the the sitting under the sun lamp with the gun interaction between the two guys. Like, these were like scenes that were to explore these characters' relationship, and they just seemed like they were really sort of thoughtless and uncreative. They were just, like, put in there without any real inspiration, whereas, like, you know, the captain and uh, the guy in the bubble, that scene was interesting, or the captain by himself with the musical instrument. I felt like those were okay and, and good, and if the movie had been more of that, and then, like, when we talked about earlier, where the movie starts getting kind of punchy and started, you know, starts rolling... Mm-hmm. I would have actually probably really enjoyed it as a film to watch. So you don't recommend it to say the casual science fiction movie. Yeah, I mean, if people that 
people know who should see this. You should, if you you know if you're wondering whether or not you should see this movie, then no, don't go see it. That's my recommendation. But you know, if you're if you're uh, somebody who thinks that this is something you should watch, then yeah, you should definitely go watch it. All right. Now, Dimitri, you, we know we know you're famous for your very very strong opinions on this show, so I'm very interested in hearing your review. I would think about it. I have two thoughts. One is it seems like it should have um, just due to the the director and the time it was and everything about it really, the special effects and, and the people that were working on it, it should have a more of a cult status. And I think that it the fact that it doesn't it is kind of like indicative of what, what's wrong with it because you can't really get too into it. But at the same time too, I feel like that theme song for Benson, Arizona is probably one of the best things I've, I've heard in a movie <laughs> yeah. and, and that, that just redeems it more than almost any other film. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like that really makes me feel like it doesn't really matter about the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. When he's surfing into the atmosphere of the planet and that song kicks in that moment, I was like, I'm really glad that I'm watching this movie. Would you recommend it in some fashion? Yeah, I definitely would. I feel like, I mean, I had a great time watching it. You know, it's kind of tune out at times, but I, I really did. I had a really good time. And I felt like that, that end scene was so inspiring and really fun. And the music and the soundtrack was really fun. All right. There you have it. 1974's Dark Star crossed off the list. All right. Well, at this point in the escape pod, it's time to determine what film we will watch on our next sleep cycle. The Escape Pod Emergency Film Librarian has chosen the 1972 science fiction film, Silent Running. What is this movie, Silent Running? Yeah, I th- I've seen this. Can you uh, tell me about it? I don't remember it. It's robots or there's greenhouses. Silent Running is a 1972 environmental-themed American post-apocalyptic science fiction film. It is the directorial debut of Douglas Trumbull and stars Bruce Stern. Wow. Do you not know that I've ever seen this, but uh, it sounds like fun to me. It's a good time uh, in our existence for environmental post-apocalyptic sci-fi movies, I'd say. Well, that is it for us for this episode of The Escape Pod. I'd like to thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the show, please hit subscribe. Please leave us a five-star review. And you can email us at scifiescapepod at gmail and request a movie or let us know what you think. As always, it's a pleasure. And we'd like to thank Golden Boots for the theme music. Oh, thank you. We got to thank Gold Boots for our theme song. And we'd like to thank Dimitri for joining us for this episode, even though he's always been. Yeah, I've been here the whole time. It's not really a not really a thing. What are you doing while we're sleeping? No, I'm with you two all the time. I don't know why <laughs> this is so hard to understand. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Benson, Arizona, blue warm wind through your hair. My body flies, the galaxies, my heart longs to be there. 
Benson, Arizona, the same stars in the sky. But they seem so much kinder when we watch them, you and I. Watch them.